Hey everyone, we're so glad that you've tuned in for this message today. I believe God gave me a word for you and I believe the word of God is going to bring you strength. I believe God's going to bring someone comfort and take someone to a new level. I want you to watch this message that the Lord gave me and at the end, I'm gonna come back and we're gonna pray for you. God bless you, enjoy this word. I want you to take your Bible and open it to Isaiah chapter 38, please. And I'm going to go to Isaiah 38 and 39. I'm going to read quite a few passages of Scripture today. And I've asked the Lord to help me be an encourager as I preach this message today because one of the things that we have to do is challenge men, but we also have to understand that honor and respect is in order for the men of God in this house and the fathers. So sometimes you want to preach two brothers to encourage them to be the man of God and the husband and the father that God wants them to be. And in doing that today, I want us to be encouraged. Look at someone say encouraged. Brothers, I want you to be encouraged today. Sometimes this society and this world has a way of beating you down. God didn't come to beat you down today. He come to encourage you and strengthen you. And I want to talk today about a pretty intense subject. And I, I, I think it's important to talk about fathers on Father's Day. I don't have a problem with that on Father's Day. We need to talk to fathers, encourage fathers, and instruct fathers because I believe fathers are a real valuable, important, one of the most important pieces of a healthy home and a healthy society is a strong father. And because of that, I think it's important that churches take times, appropriate times at appropriate seasons to address this whole issue of motherhood and fatherhood and even children. So today... I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to maximize the calendar that we have before us. It says it's Father's Day on the calendar. I'm going to talk to fathers today. And I really believe today that God wants to restore. In fact, this morning when I was praying, I heard the Lord say to me, I want to lift shame and the feeling of failure off of fathers. And if you're in this room today and you don't feel like a failure, I want you to pray for the other men of God sitting in here who on the inside do. Because I want to tell you today, God's not through with your life yet. God's not through with your children and your family yet. And if you made some mistakes, I want, you to let, I want to let you know you're not in that crowd all by yourself, but there's some people in here like me who can testify when you blow it, God will give you opportunities to restore it. And you can put it back together. How many are thankful for the good news of the gospel? Say amen. I want you to open your Bible to Isaiah 38. This is some familiar stuff. It says in the first verse, and today we're going to preach a message called Faith, Failures, and Fathers. I want to talk about your faith. I don't want us to continue to repeat the same failures because I want every father in here to know that you have an opportunity. And I believe if you'll see what God is going to say today through his word, I believe you're going to see that you have the authority to intercept plans of the enemy and stop the enemy in his tracks. And I'm praying for a movement to happen in this house, a movement among fathers, where some men step to the forefront and say, you know what, I'm going to lead my house, I'm going to lead my family, I'm going to lead my kids, and I'm going to be a leader in my church and my community. Because a city like Chattanooga needs strong, godly men who love Jesus and love their family to lead it. Amen? Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set 
your house in order, for you shall die and you will not live. And Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. This is good news. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years, and I will deliver you and this city from the, from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And This is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. Flip over to Isaiah 39, please. Verse 1, chapter 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladon, somebody ought to give me a medal. That took me three hours last night to do that. Pretty good. At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, that's another medal. I'm on a roll. Sent letters and present and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold, the spices and the precious ointment, and all his armory, and all that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There was nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Look at this. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they will take away some of your sons who will descend from you whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And these words, the, the eighth verse of this chapter, record the most disturbing words that I have heard in all the Bible. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. 
Jesus, help me preach today on the power of faith in the heart of a father. And I pray some dear brothers who perhaps have felt defeated and laid their armor down will pick it up again today. I pray today that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would settle on this congregation, that the word of the Lord would come to the hearts of the people with the power of the Holy Spirit, making it pierce like a word right into our heart. Lord, our generation need godly men and godly fathers. I pray today that there'd be, there'd be a remnant of them rise up in this house. Do the work today, Holy Spirit, as we teach and preach your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Hezekiah is one of the recorded kings of Judah who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's a rare thing. Because most of the kings of Judah and all of the kings of the northern tribe, Israel, were wicked men. Most of them invited treachery and sin into and introduced sin into the camp of the righteous among the people of God. And there is this ongoing mantra in the Old Testament where it says, and this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. But you get to Hezekiah and you get to Jehoshaphat and a couple of others in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, and the Bible said they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I just want to put a pin on that as we're making our way to our assignment today and just remind everyone in the room that what we do, we do in the sight of the Lord. And we can do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and we can do what is right in the sight of the Lord. When you and I do what is right in the sight of the Lord, we lay up a good name for ourselves. We lay up a legacy for our future. And when we do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, I want you to know that there are consequences to our decisions and our leadership. And today I want to tell you that if you felt like you've spent your life doing what is evil, you can start all over again today in Christ. Hezekiah was a man who did what was right in the sight of the Lord for most of his life. And his story is a reminder that it is not how you start, it is how you finish. Perhaps there are people in this room today who think they started weak, they started defeated, they started and had some chapters in their life that they're not proud of. I want to tell you today, you're not remembered by how you begin. You're remembered by how you finish the race. And as we're going to see this morning from the text, Hezekiah starts out well, but he doesn't finish so strong. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 38 verse 1 that in these days or in those days, Hezekiah got sick. And that is a loaded statement because if you read the 36th chapter and the 37th chapter of Isaiah, Hezekiah is in real trouble. Judah is under siege. Assyrian armies are marching in. Sennacherib is getting ready to absolutely destroy 
Israel and Jerusalem. He's getting ready to raise it to the ground and he sends out a messenger named Rabshakeh who issues a threat against the people of God and he says, trusting in Yahweh will do you no good. We're getting ready to destroy your way of life. And you know the story. If you don't know the story, let me just summarize it and tell you that, that God took the threat of that Rabshakeh from the Assyrian army. He took it personally, and God promised through the prophet Isaiah that I'm going to protect my people. And while they're living under the threat of this army coming in, in the middle of the threat, the Bible said Hezekiah got sick. Have you ever felt like it just piles up on you? You look to the left and there's an enemy. You look to the right and there's an enemy. You look ahead and there's an enemy. And then if that is not enough, your own body, your own life, your own space, you get afflicted with something and it just feels like it's piling up on top of you. This is exactly the moment that Hezekiah found himself in. He's being threatened by the Assyrian army. And on top of his threats, now he is sick and boils are breaking out all over his body. And this is what your Bible says. In that day when he was sick, your Bible says, the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and told him, you are not going to survive this, you are going to die. Who wants that kind of prophetic word? Who wants to hear this kind of message on Father's Day? The man of God, the king of Judah, Hezekiah, is being surrounded by enemies, and now he is sick in his body, and he is going to die, says the prophet. And what does the king do when he is told he is going to die? The Bible said he turned his face to the wall, and he cried out to God and with tears began to bitterly weep and he called on the name of the Lord because that's what a man of faith is supposed to do when he's surrounded and his body is afflicted and he's told it's not going to turn out good for you, you don't lay down and quit. You turn your face to the wall. Why would you turn your face to the wall? Because when you turn your face to the wall, you are turning it away from every other distraction. And you are saying, my only hope, the only hope that I have is in the name of the Lord. And Hezekiah, when he was sick, the Bible said he turned his face to the wall and he cried out to God and he wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came back to Isaiah and he said, you go tell the king, Lord have mercy. You go tell the king, I heard his prayer, I've seen his tears, and I'm getting ready to put a comma where it looked like I was getting ready to put a period, and I'm going to add 15 years to his life. And I just want to tell somebody today, you might have blown it up until this point, but the God we serve is able to put some more time in your life and extend your days and help you recover. Hezekiah wanted to know, how will I know that this is true? Oh, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me make sure I don't miss this. This is so important because, and we'll get all kinds of wonderful emails on this one. But Hezekiah's tears and Hezekiah's prayers changed the heart of God. 
God doesn't change his mind. He will if you will. You missed what I just said. You say, Pastor, God doesn't change his mind. He will if you will change. If you will decide to turn from your ways, God will relent of the judgment that he purposed. And do you know why he will do that? Because he prefers mercy over judgment. There is a resume with God. Oh, I feel like getting happy on Father's Day. There is a resume with God, and it is this. If you will repent and humble yourself, no matter what you've done, God is willing and ready to forgive you and restore you and turn your life around. The question is not, will God forgive? The question is, will you return and repent? There's a lot of people who want to blame God for not restoring things, but the people who are blaming him never stop from their sin long enough to return to the Lord. If you will return to the Lord, I feel the Lord right here. Acts 3.19, repent and be converted that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. If you will turn, he will turn. If you will ask him to forgive you, he will. He can relent from the judgment that has already been declared. This is why we preach and pray for America. Because if God wanted to, how many know that there are heaps upon heaps upon heaps of sins that he could have already judged us for. But we preach and we pray and we cry aloud and we spare not. Why? Because we believe in the mercy of God. That's what I believe in. I believe in the mercy of the Lord. Jeremiah sitting in a, in a, in a pile of ashes with tears running down his face in the middle of lamentations says one of the greatest promises found in your Bible. While he's sitting there and tears are running down his face and his body is weak and his, and his flesh is waxing away because he hasn't eaten anything. He said, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It is because of the mercy of the Lord that we are not consumed and great is your faithfulness. Oh, we need to praise him this morning not because we got our act together but because his mercy triumphs over judgment and Hezekiah prays he turns his face to the wall and he prays and God tells Isaiah you tell Hezekiah his prayers and his tears I saw it and I'm going to give him 15 years and Hezekiah says what will be the sign and here's what the Lord said tell him I'm going to turn the clock back 10 degrees do you understand what literally what God did for Hezekiah? He turned back time. If I could. No, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that here. This is holy ground. Listen, he turned back time. Isn't that good news? That God can hit the rewind button. And he can, he can help you recover some time that you wasted. Now, that's not an invitation for you to continue to act foolish. It's an opportunity for you and I to maximize on his mercy. We should never presume that he would do it again, but we should be thankful for the promise that he did it one time. And if he did it once for someone else, he might just do it for you and I today. He turned back time. 
And Hezekiah goes crazy. I didn't read it to you, but, but in your own private time, you ought to go back and read the, the rest of Isaiah 38. Hezekiah writes a praise song. I can see him dancing. Come on, y'all. Can't you see this king dancing? He's shouting and going crazy. He's giving it all he's got, waving banners. He's painting pictures. He's doing everything. He's giving God praise because he should have been dead, but now he's alive. And he's going to live 15 more years. And there were some people in a far country from a place called Babylon who heard of Hezekiah's miraculous recovery. And they sent him a note and they said to Hezekiah, you have recovered and we want to celebrate. Here is a gift. And he invites them to Jerusalem. And when these people come from Babylon to Jerusalem, Hezekiah, who has been given an extension of life, reveals what it looks like when we are not good stewards of mercy. Here he is, should have been dead, and how many should have been dead? Y'all ain't even in here today. I said, how many should have been dead? Hezekiah should have been dead, and he's still alive. And these people come from Babylon. And he gives them access to everything in his house, in his armory, and in the treasury. And here's what I wrote down for someone. Be careful what you let the enemy have access to. Because what he accesses in one season, he will occupy in the next. Fathers, I need to talk to you today. Be very careful about what you allow the enemy to have access to. How many in here like me can testify that your, your father is a nice guy, gentle guy, but when you mess with his children, something goes off? I mean, even guys that you know can't fight, they get mad. I mean, they look like they change into a fighter when you mess with their kids. I, I, <laughs> you know karate? No, I know crazy. <laughs> I pick stuff up, throw stuff. You mess with my family. It's what it is, right? Hezekiah exposes his whole house and city and his people to the enemy by allowing them access into places that the enemy should never be allowed to come. One of the great, one of the great responsibilities of the father of the house is to keep the enemy out and the family in. I want to tell you today, brothers, and we, we are thankful and grateful for sisters in this house who bear that, that, that yoke of intercession and they pray and they get up early and they pray and I'm grateful. We got this precious baby and she don't know what a schedule is. She don't care nothing about our schedule. She don't care nothing about our appointments or our deadlines. And I get up sometimes and, you know, let me just go ahead and get this out. Because for years, Devin would slap and throw pillows and kick me and say, stop snoring. So I said, I'm going to get deliverance. I'm going to get a sleep machine. I got a sleep machine the week before the baby come home. Let me walk around here. And now that we have a sleep machine, 
Devin is mad that I don't wake up, wake her up snoring. She's mad when she wakes up with the baby and I'm sleeping. And I'm trying to tell her, you need to get your mind right, lady. Because you prayed this into my life and now you're trying to bind me. What is going on with you? I don't even know how that fits in my sermon, but I've been building this up for months. <laughs> Jesus, deliver me, son. Just yesterday, all my children were asleep. Actually, it was Friday morning. Today's Sunday. It was Friday morning. All my children were asleep. Devin and the baby were asleep. And we, we moved into a new house, and the house, we found out, did not have fire alarms. Now, they had fire alarms, but they did not work, and we didn't know that until Brother Lowell come by and fixed our alarm. And Devin does not like alarms, especially on Friday morning at 9.30. So I'm in the house trying to keep these men who are installing fire alarms and alarm systems to keep my house safe. I'm trying to keep these brothers quiet, and these men are yelling at each other. And I'm like, Jesus... Can a spirit of wisdom and revelation please come upon these men? Because I know Devin well enough to know that she will be kind to them, but hell hath no fury as to how she will treat me if something stupid happens in this house. And at 9.30 a.m., boop, 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 Zion and Judah call me. What is going on? I was in the middle of REM sleep. <laughs> I walked in my bedroom. Fire was coming out of the pillows. Fire was coming out of Devin's eyes. What is this? I said, we are having alarms installed. Who does it on Friday morning at 9.30? Lord, that's who. Why would we have alarms installed? Because I... I have to keep my family safe. And I have to make sure to keep the enemy out. Now you say, Pastor, are you worried about, if I'm there, I'm not worried about anything. But it's when I'm gone that I got to keep the bad people out of my house. But some of us take our alarm down. We let our guard down and we allow perpetrators to come into our house. And they have access to places that should be kept safe. And this is what is interesting to me. What is interesting to me is what he showed them. He showed them the treasure, which represents the blessing. He showed them the spices and the oil, which represent the anointing. Come on in here, somebody. He showed them the armory, which represents our spiritual weaponry. And when the enemy had access to Hezekiah's stuff, it wasn't that he did something immediately. It's that he went back and began to tell the story of everything that Jerusalem had. And that is why Babylon knew how to attack Jerusalem, because somebody in a previous generation gave the enemy access to a place. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying, that the enemy never should have had access to. Father, you got to be the one that wakes up in the middle of the night with enough sensitivity to walk through your house and tell every wicked spirit, you will not come into this house. You cannot have my children. You cannot have my marriage. You will not have access to my family. Fight! 
brothers. He showed them everything, access to everything. And Babylon took note of what it saw. And when it came back for Jerusalem years later, it knew exactly where to go. I hear this all the time. I'm not so certain I agree with all of it. Husbands are the priests of the house. Well, my high priest is Jesus, first of all. Amen? I said, my high priest is Jesus, first of all. But husbands, do you know that's what the word husband means? House band. The band that goes around the house. It keeps the house together. It keeps the family in and the enemy out. Brothers, I'm going to move on, but before I move on, be very careful what you give access, what access you give to people. You ready for this? And I'm going to blow your mind right here. Hezekiah, you know what Hezekiah was doing when he showed them all the gold, all the ointment, all the oil, all the silver? You know what he was doing? He was flexing. He was flexing. That's the new word in this generation. Oh, he was showing them the gold flex and the silver flex. And he was showing them the armory and the swords and the bows and the arrow. He was flexing. What he didn't know is that his pride was going to get the next generation in trouble. Better be careful how you flex upon, upon your enemy. Don't, don't listen. You got to learn how to be blessed and hide it. Y'all missed what I just said. You got to learn how to be blessed and hide it. Enjoy what you have without having to show everybody what you got. The reason some people can't graduate to another level of blessing is they're trying to reveal all their stuff to everybody. And God, that ain't how God works. So the Bible says, watch this, he showed, he showed Babylon everything it had. And he comes to Hezekiah. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he said, who were those people? Who were those people and what did you show them? He said, they were Babylonians. They came from Babylon and I showed them everything we have. And look what the Bible says in the 39th chapter of Isaiah. It says that Isaiah looked at Hezekiah and said, These men will come back and take everything we have, including some of your own sons, Hezekiah. In the future, they will come in and they will take your gold and your silver and they will plunder us in the future. And the most disturbing words I find in all the Bible are found in the 8th verse of the 39th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy. When Hezekiah heard Isaiah say, in the future they'll take everything and they'll take your children, instead of that mechanism kicking in, the fighter rising up, Hezekiah thought, wow, that's good news. What do you mean that's good news? Yeah, that's great news. At least it won't happen to me in my day. What a sick syndrome to be so focused on our good life that in our day we would allow an enemy to have access to places that in the future will become the bondage and the trap of our own children.
It's as if Hezekiah was excited at the report of the prophet and the prophet was not giving him that word to produce a sense of relief. He was giving him the word to produce a sense of alarm. Yet Hezekiah as a king is so myopic and so self-centered, so selfish if I may, that he doesn't react with any sort of affect and passion he simply says, Whoo, good news. It's not going to happen in my day. I want to tell you, I am sick about what I think might happen in my children's day. You don't have to agree with this and you don't have to tune into this part, but I'm going to get this out of my spirit today. I'm sick when I see the culture and the direction of this society and I think about what they're doing now that that I couldn't imagine what they were going to do 20 years ago I'd have never thought we were putting signs on bathrooms as if to say it doesn't matter who comes into this bathroom you can use it if you want to no matter what you believe I couldn't imagine that 20 years ago 20 years ago, I couldn't have imagined we would raise tax dollars to save wells and study soil in South Dakota and use the same money to kill babies. I couldn't have imagined that. I couldn't have imagined this world would have become a place where we permit the hate of someone just because of the color of the skin or the culture from which they were born. I couldn't have imagined that. My little mind couldn't understand that. But when I look at the world I'm living in right now, I think if that's what happened in 20 years, what's going to happen in the next 20 if somebody doesn't stop giving access to the enemy? This is, tell him I said hi. This is unbelievable. This day and time we're living in, it is as if we are giving access to the enemy to every part of our lives and families. And there are people who wonder, well, why in the world? Why in the world did we keep having church? Because I'm not giving the enemy any sort of indication that just because you hatched a foul virus in some other place in the world that you're going to shut the church down. I don't, I'm not going to judge anybody who didn't come to church, but don't judge me because we kept preaching the gospel and kept the lights on because you don't know when that might happen again and I'm not ever going to send the signal that it's all right for the world to tell the church when it can gather and how it's going to meet. That's just how I feel. You don't have to agree, and I'm I'm not here to start an argument. I'm just telling you that devil don't have access to that stuff. We've got to we've got to tell we've got to tell some things in this culture and happening in this world. The world, the people in the world are not the enemy, but the spirit of the world is. Hezekiah brought them access. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and I'm wrapping up, watch this. He said, you're going to regret that. Everything you have will be taken. 
Babylon will take this entire city and turn it upside down and he will even take your children. And Hezekiah wiped his brow. Man, that's good news. What kind of morbid father thinks it is good news that in your day you'll have peace, but in your children's day they will have bondage. And here's what I want to say to Hezekiah. Why did I read to you about his sickness? Because last, last week the Lord showed me something in prayer about Hezekiah. He actually knew the recipe to save his children, but he didn't follow it. What happened when Isaiah said, you're going to die? He turned his face to the wall. He got down and had a prayer meeting. He got so passionate in prayer that he started crying. He wept bitterly. He was in anguish of soul. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about, now I lay me down to sleep. I'm talking about that kind of prayer where you wail and you moan a little and you don't have all the words, but you know you're moved. Have you ever been moved in prayer? I'm talking, have you ever felt something in prayer? Something you just couldn't get off your chest, you couldn't get it off your shoulders and you had to wrestle and you had to pray and you were burdened and you were heavy and you just had something you had to get you had to get in the presence of the Lord and you had to put it before God and pray through. That's what the old saints used to do. They prayed through. I, listen, Hezekiah knew the recipe for deliverance. How do I know? Because when Isaiah came to him and Isaiah said, you're going to die, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he cried out to God and he prayed and God said, I heard you. I saw your tears and I heard your prayer and I'm going to add some time to your life. Why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man still avails much. I don't know why Hezekiah could understand what to do when he was told he was going to die, but he didn't know what to do when he was told his children would. He knew the recipe. Here's what I would tell Hezekiah, and I would tell every dad in this building the day before I close. If the enemy's coming after your children and mine, we know what works, brothers. Prayer still works. We know what works. Tears. Y'all don't want to talk about this, do we? Well, bless God, I'm a, I'm a strong guy. I'm telling you, when revival hits, strong men weep. Strong men weep when revival hits. You say, Pastor, I don't want to be weak. No, tears don't indicate weakness. Tears indicate brokenness. And until some of us get broken, we'll never find the strength of God. The Bible said he gives grace to the humble. The Bible said he is near those who are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I feel the Lord right here. God wants to raise up some men who don't defend their family or their faith or their future with their own strength and their own ingenuity and their own strategy. The Bible said in Psalm 115, 
unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And unless the Lord watch over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. What that means is you can build and you can watch. You can, you can do all that you want to do in your strength. But until men depend on God and put their hope and their faith in God, then, then their families are exposed and their stuff is accessible and their future is not safe or secure. You will never be able to protect yourself, brothers. Now that sounds a bit strong, Pastor. No, I'm not telling you not to do what you got to do to protect yourself. I'm telling you at the end of the day, you better put your hope in God. Put your trust in the Lord. Hezekiah knew the recipe for what to do when he got a bad report. Turned his face to the wall, he prayed and he wept and God heard him. And the next chapter when he hears that his children are going to be taken and his stuff is going to be stolen, instead of praying like he did the chapter before, he wiped his head, shrugged, and felt a sigh. At least it won't happen to me. Somebody's got to pray. It's interesting to me that the faith that delivered Hezekiah in 38, chapter 38, that same faith could have delivered his, I believe with all of my heart, had he prayed and cried to God in chapter 39, you would have never seen the Babylonians come in as they did. They came in because a man who had faith in one chapter failed his children in the next. And if you flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, the end, Matt, come help me, the end of Hezekiah's life is one of pride and failure. He started out so strong, he was doing right in the sight of the Lord. But at some point in the journey, all of the stuff in his treasury got him flexing before his enemies. Pride exalted him. And I'm going to tell you, pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirits go before falls. You, you and I, brothers, and I'm talking to men in this room today in love, I want to tell you, you have the recipe. You have the recipe. You know what works. Your family can be protected from the advancing onslaught of the enemy. The weapons of our warfare have not changed recently. They're still the same. Prayer changes things. The word still works. Whenever you feel hopeless and helpless and like, man, all this stuff happening in this world is piling up on me. How do I lead? How do I guard? How do I protect? You put your hope in God. And not just at dinner time when you say your blessing. But when everybody goes to bed, sometimes you just got to walk your house. Give God thanks for his goodness. Plead the blood of Jesus. Rebuke the devil and put him under your feet. Men of God, some of you need your tears back. 
I've never cried. <laughs> okay. That's, don't tell anyone that, okay? Tears are not weakness. Tears tenderize the heart. They cultivate the soil of your spirit. The soil of your spirit needs It's hard sometimes. I want to say this before I close today, brothers. One of the great tragedies is of this society is that they have put men into a category called simply, exclusively almost called provider. How many have ever heard that? Men provide, women take care of the family. How many have ever heard that? Come on. Find that in your Bible. I'm not saying you don't work hard and you don't provide and that I don't work hard and that, that I don't provide, but find that in your Bible where your sole exclusive responsibility is simply to make a living for your family. That's part of the journey, but that's not, that's not the finish line. You protect. You guard. And you don't just do that with guns. I got some. Right by my bed. You break in, I'll use it. But unless the Lord watches over my house, all that's in vain. I want you today to recapture that whole thing of depending on God. And it may just start something like this. I need you, Lord. My children need you. For their future, they need you. And for their future, I need you. I need to raise up the kind of kids who change society, not just fall in line and march to the beat of the drum of this world. I want to raise countercultural children when the whole world is swimming in one direction of rebellion against God, Lord, give us a church full of kids and parents who raise them who say, as for me and my house, will serve the Lord. What would you do if Isaiah walked into your house today, sir, and said to you, in your future, your stuff will be stolen and your children will be taken away. Would you simply wipe your brow and say, it's good news. And at least in my time, in my life, we're going we're gonna to do well. Our pension plans are going to flourish. Our IRAs are going to increase. We're going to take a lot of vacations and whatever happens to my kids, it's on them. That's not the heart of a father. Father fights for a future that he'll never get to enjoy, but he loves those who's going, who will live in that future enough to say, I'm going to fight for them. You know why we have this precious baby? She's asleep. Oh, God. Put the cover over. I won't be able to finish this sermon. I'll get her out and kiss every cheek she has. Glory to God. She's got like the greatest cachetes in the whole world. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's Spanish for cheeks. Yeah. See? Yeah. Tremendo, correct? Ah, gloria a Dios. 
Me habla poquito español. Aleluya. You know why we have that baby? We have that baby because I'm not going to preach about life and ending abortion, both of which we should preach and do. I'm not going to do that without putting my actions to my words, number one. The second thing I'm going to do is I want to raise her in the kind of way that she becomes a voice for precious children. Even for those as a testimony to those sweet young ladies who have babies in their belly. And people are telling them, get an abortion, get an abortion, get an abortion. And the family steps up and says, you don't have to do that. We want to help you. We're testimonies of that. We're testimonies of that. This world and this culture need godly families to raise godly children so that the future can look very different than the intention of Satan. Satan has an intention for our future. The only way his intention comes to pass is if you and I abdicate our responsibility to turn our face to the wall and pray and cry out to God. If we don't do that, brothers, we have no reason to complain. If you spend more time complaining about what you see on the news rather than praying about it, that's part of the problem. You know the recipe. This is very different today, very different. I just need to talk. Prayer saved your life, Hezekiah. Tears saved your life, Hezekiah. They'll save your children's too. Somebody's got to pray. Friend, I believe God is speaking to hearts right now. This message, I pray, has stirred you. And there are some who are watching this message who are waiting on the opportunity to give their heart to Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest day in your life is the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to become the Lord of your life. And if you want that opportunity, then right now I want to pray with you. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that God commands men and women everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin and to turn to the living God. And the message of hope today for you is that no matter how messed up you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you feel, he is only one prayer away. Would you turn your heart toward him right now? Just say, dear God, save me, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin and make me new. I, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and I'm asking you to be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, let us know today. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you know that as a local church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, someone is praying for you. We hope to see you soon if you're in the Chattanooga area. And if not, get in a Bible-believing church somewhere and grow in your purpose in Christ. We love you. We're praying for you today. God bless you.